Life can be an extraordinary adventure. More than ordinary. In the gym. At home. At work. More than ordinary. Advice. Without the new agey bullshit. Welcome to More Than Ordinary, brought to you by Seven Generation Games. I'm Anne-Marie DeMars, and my co-host today is Drew. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your hey. company, what you're up to? Yeah, sure. So I'm Drew, uh, Drew Kim, and I am the president of a esports organization and company uh, called UIU. And esports is basically, um, for those that don't know, it's uh, competitive video games played on the professional level. So kind of sounds crazy to some people um it used to sound crazy to me until i really started to get involved and see some of these events and i've been a gamer my whole life so i can definitely understand how it's a hard concept for some people to grasp but yeah i currently do that i thought we could talk about a couple of things today one is your company is like our company and that it's a mom and mm-hmm. her kid and yeah so I thought we could talk a little bit about what that's like. Very often people say to me, I couldn't work with my family. It makes me wonder, what's your family like? Because my family's pretty cool, <laughs> right? Do you get that? Yeah. Do people tell you that all the time? Oh, I couldn't work for my mom or I couldn't work with my family. Uh, Yeah, actually. I used to always think just because of the the field that my parents were in at the time that I just wouldn't end up working with them. But I never had any like uh, – anything against the idea of working with them. Now now that I do work with my, my mother, uh, I think there's a lot of benefits, actually. There's obviously some challenges to working with your family, but I think there's a lot of benefits to working with, you know, a parent or, or a family member. And, and I kind of realized through the process that there's so many, if we look at, like, the most successful companies, so many of them started as family businesses. And so I kind of turned that back at people when they say, like, I can never work with my, my mom or my dad or my sister. And I talk about all the examples of most of the major, like, American companies that really helped build this country. A lot of them were family-run companies, and still to this day have some some uh, members of the family even working in them. So I do get that question a lot, actually, yeah. Right. Cisco was a husband and wife, and they're the ones that mm-hmm. they do all the routers and servers. And then... Of course, Marriott was a family-owned business. So yeah, there's a lot of them. Well, I find it interesting. I think one of the reasons people say that is they feel like there's a lot of different dynamics. Like you have to make hard decisions sometimes about firing people or if that's the person you want to work with. Mm -hmm. And I think in some families, maybe... I'm trying to think of how to to say this politely. But it's just true. I mean, some families fight a lot. And they're mm-hmm. always fighting about who's in charge. Those are the families that end up, you know, really dysfunctional or people getting divorced. But right. if you're in that kind of relationship, then adding in a company where you're arguing about who's in charge is probably a bigger deal. And I, I think the other thing yeah. thing is when you're a parent, at some point you have to look at your kid as an adult. And right. that was hard for me. How's it been for you? <laughs> Um, so I have always had very supportive parents in terms of what I wanted to do career wise. And, uh, you know, there's a period of time when I was in the music industry as a a producer and a a DJ, and that's very far from what my parents do. They both, they both went to Harvard for economics and kind of followed the traditional route, I'd say in terms of 
doing like, um, what do you call it? Consulting work. And then my father went on to investment banking. My mother's whole path, which I, I know you know about is a little bit different. She did like fashion for a bit, uh, got a law degree later in life and they wanted to tech startups, um, similar to, to seven generation games did a kind of educational app a little bit before the app store was really a thing. So it was kind of a little ahead of its time, I'd say. You know, I think that they've always been so supportive in what I want to do that when I started working um, on the beginning of what became UIU, uh, they were very interested, just like they always have been on on what I'm doing um, career-wise. And then the more I told them, I could kind of see like the wheels turning in, in especially my, my mom's head, about how this is something really interesting to her. And at the time, she was consulting other startups. She had just sold her last startup and had a kind of an exit from that. So I think she was kind of consulting a lot of people. And, and she's told me this. She said, like, uh, every time I talked to you, what you were doing sounded way more interesting than the companies I was consulting. So I just decided, why not why not jump on and try to try to work together? I do think that there's definitely, like, friends of mine who are in the same industry that I am, uh, this esports industry, where their parents are very not supportive. And they kind of have to prove to them that video games, gaming, and this kind of new field of like competitive gaming is something worth even going after. So I think that I was, in a certain way, blessed with parents who were very open-minded towards uh, career path. The one thing that they always said is like, they just want me to be the best at whatever field I'm going to go into and really make sure that it's something I'm dedicated to. So I think they saw that passionate, like in what I was doing with esports. Well, I really lose the the prize then as most supportive best parent because <laughs> my big concern was my children not end up living in my basement. Well, I don't actually have a basement, but I have an extra bedroom. Uh-huh. And I wanted them all to get out and get jobs. Uh, did you, do you happen to know what I told Rhonda when she said she wanted to go into the into mixed martial arts? Uh, no, I don't think so. I might I, have heard it in an interview, but no. I told her that's the stupidest fucking idea I've ever heard in my life. And coming from you, that's saying something. I, I <laughs> thought it was crazy. And it's interesting because like your parents, uh-huh. you know, I have a doctorate. My specializations applied yeah. statistics and psychometrics. My husband went to UCLA for a doctorate in particle physics. And Rhonda's super smart, you know, like you. So we mm-hmm. figured she would go and get her PhD in something like oceanography because she was a super good student when she was in school. And then when she says, oh, I want to go punch people. So it's kind of like you going into to esports or producing music. But instead, your parents are like, yeah. way to go, Drew. And we're like, no. <laughs> She's brought this so up this, many a times, right? This is, this is after the Olympics? Yes. Obviously, after the Olympics? Ah, I see. Yeah, no, that's so – I guess a certain degree, my parents would have been the same if I had. So with the music thing, I was still, um, I was still getting my degree um, in uh, political science, and it was something where the music was starting to progress. Um, I was like getting more offers from indie labels and more offers to kind of do paid shows. So it was kind of more of a thing where like the jobs were coming to me or like the job offers. So. It was never a case where it looked like, and I always told them like, if it doesn't work out and the music starts to not seem lucrative, or also if I'm not really feeling like it's my passion anymore, that I'll just go back to the drawing board and try to find the next thing that I really want to do. But I can definitely see both sides of it. Um, I'm sure that they had concerns too. 
to be honest. Music is probably one of the hardest things to break into in this day and age. And the thing that used to really drive it, like radio and record sales, just aren't there anymore. So it's all about these days building a brand for yourself, really knowing how to market and you have to make all your money off of touring. So for me, touring was really like what I ended up not really liking. <laughs> so that's kind of bad because that's where the majority of money and music comes from these days. Uh, but yeah, I, I really appreciate that my parents gave me the, gave me the opportunity to, to really follow something I was passionate about and still am. I still love music um, very much, but I think that that's a concern for every parent, I would imagine, you know. Uh, job security especially in this day and age so i don't think they were without <laughs> without concern if, if i were to ask them honestly well let's let's flip to your current business so mm -hmm. first of all i would talk about the the sort of nuts and bolts of running the business and then the actual esports itself mm. so now what's the structure you're the president and what's your mom's role in there is she vice president is she uh, she's she's ceo so I, when we first started out, I couldn't really figure out what the difference was between CEO and president. Um, I think you guys are the same, right? Are you the president and then? Yeah, I'm the uh, president. Mari is the CEO. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. Or no, it's so then we're flipped. So I'm the president and uh, my mom, Jane, he's the CEO. So um, I believe technically she's above me, but when it comes down to the decision-making process, um, it really is the two of us having to come to compromise or a consensus. Uh, most of the times we try to come to a consensus. If, if there's like one of us really not wanting to, let's say go into a new game or sign a new player or, you know, not sign a, or not resign, um, a player, then generally we try to compromise or we realize that that's not a move that we want to make as a company. Um, it really is kind of a two person voting system which is kind of weird because um, there's no tie break sometimes well <laughs> i have two younger sisters sometimes we'll ask their opinion and they just are like especially my youngest sister she's in college right now so she's 20 yeah she's 20 she'll be like i'm staying out of this i don't want anything to do with this <laughs> um but it does come down to basically yeah the two of us making decisions together that that was the hardest thing to kind of navigate at the beginning is uh, with her being my, my mother, like there's obviously already a power dynamic of I'm supposed to listen to what she says and I'm supposed to, you know, take her advice as not necessarily as like uh, gospel, but, you know, I'm supposed to take it to heart and then for her to have to listen to me on an equal playing field. So that was at first kind of one of the I want to say growing pains, but one of like the learning experiences for us is how to really take the family dynamic power dynamic out of it as much as possible and try to make business decisions like as a president talking to the CEO rather than a president's son talking to a CEO mother, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. When we started, we it was different. I was the president, Maria was chief marketing officer. And so that's kind of more, mm -hmm. uh, you know, okay, I'm in charge and you're doing this part. And we went through an accelerator yeah. And one of the things we were doing at that point was during our first seed round. And they said that okay. somebody has to be the person to go and pitch to the investors. And most of the time, it should be the same person. You know, it, you should have somebody who can play backup, but it should be the same person. It should be the CEO or the president because 
some of these people who have a lot of money to invest have a fairly high opinion of themselves and are not happy if you have somebody who's not the pro, like, what, I'm not good enough to president oh, or yeah. CEO? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they said whoever does it has to you know, have one of those titles and they have to be the kind of person he looked at me. He says, the kind of person that, you know, some of these people have high net worth are kind of have a high self-opinion as well. And you need to be able to not say, fuck you. I don't need your fucking money. And I said, <laughs> not it. So that's how Maria became the CEO because uh-huh. she doesn't mind dressing up in designer suits and she looks nice in them. Mm. And also Vivek Wadhwa, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a, a Researchers written a lot on startups, and he said he's a, a guy from India. He said when he did his first startup in Silicon Valley, he hired mm-hmm. a six foot one white dude from Stanford to be his front man because he figured that's mm-hmm. who they're going to invest in. And Maria's younger; she looks good in designer clothes. She doesn't swear, um, so <laughs> she's a good front person, but she's also super smart. Yeah, yeah. And so we kind of broke it out by what we each felt good at and wanting to do. Like I really love the tech side of it where going to meetings and like, like Mary's amazing. We, she was at the global uh, entrepreneurship summit, our company, seven generation games won for best entertainment media company, which came with cash. Congratulations. Yeah. It's always helpful to get cash and, you know, 10,000 in Amazon web services credits, which we actually used. And so she's good at it, but it's also, that's not the sort of thing I want to do. And yeah, gotcha. mm-hmm. if I have to, I can suck it up, put on a designer suit and shake hands and smile nice. But it, Maria's better at it and she doesn't mind it. So mm-hmm. I, so I have another question that relates to this now. I sure. heard an investor say that if he saw a company that had both a president and CEO, that that was – a no for him because he felt like that was a company that couldn't decide who was in charge. What's your take on that? We'll be right back after this. Did you know that kids on average lose two and a half months of math skills over the summer? That means that when they go back to school this fall, it's almost like everything they learned in math since mid-March never happened. Seven generation games can help. Combining adventure gaming and math, our games are the perfect way to keep kids' math skills up to date. It's not flashcards or worksheets, but 3D video games and engaging apps that kids actually want to play, even when they're on summer break. Check us out at 7generationgames.com. So I've never heard someone say that before, but uh, I would definitely disagree. I think it's the more high-level executives you have at a startup the better because we all wear so many hats at a startup. And I think that clarity in message, especially um, when you're kind of raising funds is important. So I can see maybe where this individual is coming from in that if you have just one founder who's the CEO and the president, they're just going to have one vision. But then at the same time, there's no to challenge the challenge that vision, right? Um, I think it's important to always have someone to ask you the tough questions before you get to the to the investors or before you get to the you know the people who you're trying to pitch to um and that's something that uh jin he and i do constantly is like challenge each other and ask each other about ideas that we're not too sure of um and i think that in your guys case having a president and ceo 
makes a lot of sense. I don't, I don't see, I, I'm pretty sure most really big companies also have a CEO and a president and then several like senior vice presidents, right? vice presidents. And I think their point was, and I, I'm, I'm with you. I disagreed with it, that it's a power struggle. Like you couldn't decide who was in charge and that somebody has to be in charge. Mm, I see. In our company, I feel like people are in charge of different things. Like Dennis is our CTO. And if he really wants to go with Unity for a game Mm -hmm. versus using Phaser or something like that, Mm -hmm. nobody's going to argue with him that much. If he says, I think playing the videos within Unity versus HTML is going to be a better way to go because it's going to cause fewer problems, nobody's going to argue with him that much. But if it's something like, do we want to go into this market? Do we want to you know, market to the Dominican Republic or market to Chile, he's probably not going to have that much to say on that unless it has to do with the technical side of, mm-hmm. you know, developing games in two languages. So for us, I feel like it's more, Maria's really good at going out and fundraising and meeting with new clients. I'm pretty good at the the design, educational design, the tech support, the providing support to existing clients and writing grants. And so I think for us, it's everybody is an expert on different subjects and it works well. Yeah. I kind of think that it's, I think it's an advantage to have a lot of different people who are able to voice an opinion. Um, Obviously at the end of the day, it should come down to like, you know, just one or two people making the decision or uh, not having like a whole committee. Although I know that's what eventually happens with the board but um i think it's kind of like with the mma training camp right you bring in someone who's a really good boxer as your boxing coach and then you bring in a jujitsu black belt and you bring in a former college wrestler like you you want different people who are good at different things and then you're not going to obviously have the wrestling coach try to tell you how to box well hopefully not but i think that you know having people who know what they're really good at and who are confident in what they're good at and then also are humble enough and like understanding enough to know what they're not good at is very important for startups. Um, and to be able to ask for that help from the other team members, um, is definitely a big, uh, a big strength that not everyone is able to do that. Um, even some of our employees, like the hardest part for me was to get them to start to admit to me when they don't know how to do something. I think they just want to always seem like the best version of themselves to their boss, but, you know, it's not like I'm, uh, what do you call it? Like their, like their teacher. It's like, um, I'm not grading them on their performance just based on that. Like it's about growth and development for not just the company, but for the employees too. So I see where that guy was coming from, I guess, to a certain degree, but I think there's a lot of different ways to be a successful company. And I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with the way that you guys or we are going about it with kind of two, two, two heads of the company almost. All right. Well, I have three more questions. And just to mm-hmm. give you a heads up at the end, we always ask everybody for a tip. So you'll be gotcha. expected to come up with a tip. But yeah, as far as your point about people not wanting to ask, that's something we run into a lot, especially with new developers where they will spend a lot of time, you know, a day or, or more trying to figure something out when they could just ask. I think mm-hmm. with software development, sometimes it's really – not a good environment for people that depending on where they came from, people will mock you for not knowing the answers to things or say, oh, well, mm. I knew that when I was in the 10th grade. Yeah. Which, mm. which is 
really unhelpful. And we're, we try not to be like that as a company. So mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes the the environment that a lot of software is developed in where everybody's trying to be competitive and I'm going to get this done faster than you and I'm, you know, a code ninja or some kind of bullshit that, that can discourage people from asking questions and admitting they don't know stuff. And mm -hmm. th I think that can be to your detriment in a startup. And, and if you're at a startup like that, you know, those people are a bunch of jerks and you should quit and come work with us. Yeah, definitely. So, definitely. So my question, my next question is eSports. How did you get into mm -hmm. eSports? That's not when you're a little boy in elementary school, you say, when I grow up, I'm going to do a startup for an eSports company. It, it we'll be right back after this. You can be too successful. How so? Our latest games have parents suggesting we get endorsements from YouTube celebrities, have professional gamers stream us on Twitch. They point out where we aren't the virtual reality level of Call of Duty. Yet. The point is, our games are so much more, well, game-like than the average educational games that people forget that what you really should be comparing these games to are math worksheets. Yeah, I mean, you can have your kids sit down and do math workbooks for 20 minutes if you can even get them to do that. Or you can let them play Fish Lake, which they'll probably ask you to let them keep playing after 20 minutes. Or you can play yourself. You know you are never going to pick up one of those workbooks again for the rest of your life. Still, do you remember how to reduce fractions to lowest terms, multiply and divide fractions? If not, play Fish Lake before Mia or Connor or Aiden or <laughs> Joe gets home from school and asks for your help with their homework. It, it honestly didn't exist when I was a little boy, so... so um, uh, I've always played games, uh, video games. I actually probably played video games a lot because I moved around a lot as a kid. So um, that was like a constant that no matter where I went, that was an activity that either I could do by myself or that it seemed like, because I lived in Tokyo, I lived in Hawaii, I lived in all parts of America, I lived in uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, that like young boys were always playing video no matter where I went and and young girls my sister can beat me at used to be able to beat me at a lot of games actually growing up um but uh I always was just a player and I knew about some of the business end of things from like developer side but I never wanted to really go into working for a developer necessarily um I I was interested in like the entertainment side of of video games and how it kind of was a new medium for um, kind of narrative and story that you kind of experience yourself. And also I loved being able to see the progression of mastery of certain games um, over time. But eSports kind of came into my consciousness when I was in college. It had existed in certain forms in South Korea and in parts of Europe, but it wasn't really until I would say like late 2000s, early 2010s, where it really started to take off in the United States. And I honestly thought, okay, this is an idea that I think will be very niche and I don't know how big it'll get. And I was continually proven wrong every year. It kept getting bigger. Um, I really got interested in this platform called Twitch, which is owned by Amazon. And it's basically a broadcast platform for people to broadcast their gameplay along with a webcam of themselves and kind of like uh, talk to the audience and it's live streaming. So I worked a lot with Twitch 
and um, actually mutual friends of ours. I would work uh, Jessamine Duke, Shayna Baszler. I helped them a lot, a lot with um, their Twitch channels at the time. And through that, I got to know some people who worked at Twitch. I really wanted to help Twitch get more non-gaming content onto the platform. So at first I tried with music. That's too hard because of copyright. I actually then moved on to pro wrestling and helping some indie promoters get connected to Twitch. And it basically launched, now there's like 10 promotions on Twitch, but I helped the first one get a deal with Twitch. All of that was for free though. And, uh, you know, I was still in college at the time. So it wasn't really something that I thought was going to become a career in terms of esports because it seemed like the gap was too big between where I was and where these companies were going. They were already starting to get like millions of dollars worth of funding and they were already starting to pay players like uh, tens of thousands of dollars. So I just didn't see how I could enter into But what ended up happening is that I was through, again, through working with Justin and Shana, I got to talk to some of the developers and one of them was for the, uh, this kind of comes full circle, the Mortal Kombat game which they just released the new one, which Rhonda's the voice of Sonya Blade, which is very cool. Yes. I was just playing that uh, earlier. Yeah, she's very excited about getting that job. Yeah, so cool. It's it's really cool. Um, I think they put some of her like actual moves in there too. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I, I realized that fighting games was the, a lower barrier of entry in terms of financially because you just have to sponsor or work with one player. And that it's something that I really understood just from growing up around martial arts and being a fan of MMA and, you know, all types of martial arts in general. But as we all know, things don't always come out according to plans. So come back to our next podcast to find out how Drew went from thinking he was going to create content to manage an esports league. Thanks for listening to the More Than Ordinary podcast. For more information, please go to our website, 7generationgames.com. And that's 7 as in the number 7, generationgames.com. If you'd like to learn more about math and history or increase your vocabulary while at the same time having fun, you can purchase our games at 7generationgames.com slash buy. You can also donate and help a much-deserving student. And as always, please tell a friend and don't forget to rate us on iTunes. It's never too late to be more than ordinary.